Aloha everyone. Welcome to Sasha Spins where you get my thoughts on life, current events, and everything else in between, in and out of the saddle. So let's get right on into it. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in your day. I hope you are doing well. I hope you are doing amazing. What are we talking about today here on Sasha Spins? Today, we are talking about my thoughts on diversity, equity, inclusion, and representation, and how a lack of them, the absence of them in certain spaces is not by accident. It is not an oversight. It is not a mistake. It is absolutely intentional, and it is working by design. So very recently, I read Mediocre by Ijeoma Oluo. This is required reading for life. I've been saying this for the past several weeks, but if you don't follow me on Instagram, then you haven't heard me say it. So I'm going to give you the courtesy of saying it now that you need to pick up this book and you need to read it. Regardless of where you are on your anti-racism journey, if you think you're the most educated person in the world, you are going to learn something new from this book. But that sentiment that she repeats again and again and that you see underscored in the book that the systems that we find ourselves existing in, the absence of diversity and representation, equity and inclusion, all of those things are working exactly as they were built because so many of these systems and these spaces were built with one person in mind. White people, particularly white men. So when we see an absence of BIPOC and women in these spaces, and then when BIPOC and women are present in these spaces, and it is particularly toxic for them, it is that way because it was designed to be that way. And that narrative has played out over and over again in my lifetime. I see it so often in every space that I have occupied in the corporate world, but also the fitness, health, and wellness spaces that I've been in. And it's funny because I was thinking about it over the past few days, especially seeing people's reactions to Donald not being found guilty of inciting a riot, what happened Earlier in January, the domestic terrorism we saw at the Capitol, he was found not guilty of that. And people were shocked. (laughs) And I was shocked that people were shocked because if there's anything, this is, I saw, I keep on seeing this meme and it's absolutely hilarious to me. And I laugh at it every time I see it because it's basically black people been new. I think that black people, we need to like embroider that on a pillow and then just give it to white people every time they're shocked by something that we're very clearly aware of. Because it seems like people don't seem to understand that, of course, he wasn't be found. He was he was not going to be found guilty of this because the system is working for him as it was designed to work. And then I'm seeing people like, but it was caught on camera and we had the notes from Twitter. And it's like, it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, the system was designed to protect him. The master's tools will never dismantle or destroy the master's house. Come on, people. So it just made me laugh as I was seeing this. And again, uh, mediocre, required reading for life. This is something I talked about briefly on Instagram, but as always, the things that I talk about, there's only so much you can capture 
in a post. And sometimes you just need to sit down and you need to talk about it, right? And so that's what I'm doing today on this podcast. I'm just sharing my experiences and my thoughts, particularly as it pertains to people who are just very, who are still surprised and shocked by the systems that we exist in, the systems that we live in, and it expands beyond the corporate world. It's not just corporate. It's not just fitness. It's not just health and wellness spaces, because I challenge you right now to think about the spaces that you're in, to think about how they are built, how they are designed, the leadership, what the leadership structure looks like, and if it's diverse. And if it's not, that shouldn't be a surprise to you. And so it's consistently surprising to me that this is surprising to others. Because at the end of the day, we can sit here and we're we're having like really, really great conversations about diversity and racism and anti-racism and showing up and doing the work and all this other stuff. We got we we're having conversations about that, right? But we have to take action. And we're still in this pandalorium. So that's not even a word. I've been making up words all the time. <laughs> we're still in this pandemonium, this pandemic, whatever you want to call it, we're still in this. So I think people also feel like because of that, they feel, how am I making changes in spaces? Or how can I make changes in spaces when I'm not physically occupying many spaces? And that's a good question. And I've done podcasts about this in the past. But really, it's using your voice in the spaces that you are in. And it can be as simple as speaking up when you see something toxic or bad that's happening. But you can also, when you see a lack, be the one to make up for that lack. And this is really important to me. And it's really timely for me because as people are wanting to do the work, And as people are having these conversations, it's important to translate and move from conversations, move to action. And as we move to action, that's what I want to talk about today as it pertains to the lack of equity, inclusion, diversity, and representation in these spaces and it not being intentional. Sorry, it not being accidental. We are all socialized in a white supremacist society And because we are all socialized in a white supremacist society where white is seen as the standard, white is seen as the norm, white is propped up as better than, we all hold implicit biases and we take those implicit biases into our spaces and they impact how we make decisions, staffing decisions, hiring decisions, promotion decisions, how we evaluate and treat people, all of those things impact our implicit biases impact all of those things, whether we are cognizant or whether we are just, we're not cognizant of it. We're unaware of it. But ignorance is no excuse. We all, knowing that we all have these implicit biases, it's on us to challenge ourselves to be better. And how we challenge ourselves to be better is to truly create those inclusive and equitable spaces. So we we're building a bigger table and we're making people feel welcome and we're making people feel included. And that's everyone. And so when I talk to everyone, what I mean is that not everyone can be at the top, right? We all fall somewhere 
you may be at the top and that's fantastic. If I'm talking to you right now and you're at the top, fantastic. I want you to be making a lot of changes. But if you fall somewhere in that middling range or maybe even at the lower rank, you may think that you are not responsible for change or you don't have a lot of impact, but you do have a lot of impact. And what I want to speak, not necessarily specifically to, but because this is a space that I've seen the most damage in, this is a space where I can speak to freely, but I think it applies to many spaces. In the fitness industry, it is a fit, it is an industry in which I see scarcity mentality over and over and over again. And it is in these spaces, it's by design. It is 110, 110% by design because the staff, the management and the owners recognize, they are very cognizant of the fact that without the instructors, the studio doesn't run. When you, there is always strength in numbers and it's always shocked me that in the fitness industry, the instructors don't recognize that. But at the same time, how are you recognizing, how are you able to recognize that and then act upon it if you do recognize it when you are worried about having a stacked schedule, when you are worried about having as many classes as you need to be able to teach to pay your bills, that is going to be your priority. Your priority is not going to be building community, making, holding your owners and your leadership accountable and responsible to creating diverse spaces because you have another set of priorities. But that lack that you feel is by design because there is enough room for everyone to succeed in these spaces. But what leadership does, what management does is they keep us in this place of division, discord, pitting people against one another. So they, with the hope that the staff doesn't wake up and realize that we have the power here. It, the power just doesn't lay in leadership. It doesn't rest in leadership. It rests in us as individuals to band together because there are strength in numbers. And that's one thing that I always find myself so disappointed in people as a result of. But then I also challenge myself to be like, well, Sasha, How can you be disappointed in them when they have a different set of circumstances where everyone has a different set of priorities? But it doesn't have to be that way. And I think that's a frustrating part for me, that it really doesn't have to be this way. And just because it's not a priority for management doesn't necessarily mean that things have to exist that way. You have the power. And I that's it's present in every space. We all have power because we have the numbers. If you are not existing, if you are existing in a space where you are not in a position of leadership, recognize that you do have the numbers and it starts with you. It starts with us. We can't just wait for leadership. We can't just wait for people to create what we want to see. We can't wait for people to create the change that we want to see in the world. We have to be that change. And we have to look around. If you're truly serious about creating equitable spaces and diverse spaces and representative spaces, you have to ask yourself, who isn't here and how do I get them here? And then on top of that, when they get here, are the voices and opinions of BIPOC actually considered and valued? And this is a big one. And I'm going to talk about this one a little bit later. But then the third question you have to genuinely ask yourself, is this space actually equitable and inclusive or are we engaging in tokenism? Because a lot of the time what I see 
is that these organizations, they want to pay lip service to diversity. After everything that happened last summer, I saw a lot of companies start to throw BIPOC breadcrumbs uh, showing us in their marketing, maybe hiring people to come in and speak to diversity, making all of these pledges. But six months, over six months at this point have passed. I'd probably say like eight or nine months. Over eight or nine months at this point have passed. And when you look back on these companies, what have they really done to actually create equitable and inclusive spaces? Or are they just engaging in tokenism? Are the BIPOC that they're showing, are the is are they showing in their marketing? And marketing is one thing, but are these BIPOC present in leadership roles, important roles in the organization, are they there? And then when they are there, are their voices valued and weighted as equally important as the voices of the white people in those institutions and in those spaces? And see, that's what I have a problem with because that's, and I think That's what I have a problem with the most because that's what I've seen the most in the spaces that I'm in. In my time of working in the fitness and wellness industry, I've only ever had one black woman manager and she was an absolute saint and I literally don't know how she survived that environment for as long as she did. I think she was there for like four years and it's still like absolutely incredible to me that she was there for so long. I had one black manager and he quit after three or four days. <laughs> he was like, this environment is for the birds. I'm gone. I'm back. I'm leaving. So he left and then I had another black manager and he was only there for, I want to say two or three months and he wanted to make changes in our studio that would have benefited the studio. He wanted to put systems in place that would have made, that would have addressed issues that we were having and would have made the studio a better place. And at every single step of the way, nearly every single step of the way, he was pushed back against, resisted, questioned, even though this was his field of knowing of knowledge, was still questioned, was his voice was not valued, it was not heard, and ultimately he was labeled as angry. One of another person in leadership referred to him as an angry little man. And that stuck out to me because in my communications with him and talking to him, there's nothing about him that I would have ever labeled as angry. I maybe she saw a different side of him than I saw which would have which would totally make sense because she was in a position of leadership and I'm sure that they were having difficult conversations and change is hard. So maybe he was really pushing back against his changes and he was very passionate about them. But at the same time, I've seen countless times where black people and BIPOC, when they are passionate, they are labeled as angry because the language of corporate spaces and many white dominated spaces, the language of those spaces quote, professionalism, unquote, is a language of passive aggressiveness. White people are generally, not all, but a lot are generally socialized in a way in which directness and 
straightforward communication is not valued and is seen as a threat. It is seen as domineering. It is seen as aggressive. So the language, because white people are socialized in that way, they take this into their corporate spaces and or whatever spaces they're in. And because they influence, they are the majority and they influence the culture in those spaces, their language is going to be the language that rises to the top. So BIPOC, however, in my observations, are not socialized in that manner. So they are very direct. And when Black people, it's happened to me before, when Black people are very direct with how they speak, they're labeled as angry or aggressive. So I don't want to say, I I really cast doubt on the classification of him as angry. And I, I don't want to doubt anyone's experience, but I also will say that I know the language of Many white people, especially a lot of white people who occupy positions of leadership and his passion, his directness would probably be instantly absolutely mistaken for anger. So anyways, he left that environment and he he w- he just tried and I think he was tired and he left after two or three months and nothing changed. And these were the, the problem was that in the disappointing part. And the problem was that these were necessary changes that would have absolutely benefited the studio. And if they were changes that a white person had made, another white person in leadership, would they have been received differently? And I want to say, honestly, I can believe that they would. So when we have Black people that occupy, when they finally break that ceiling of occupying spaces of leadership, how are they received? Are their voices valued? Are their voices heard in the book that I've mentioned like three times now in this podcast, maybe two times (laughs) in mediocre. There was a chapter about women and BIPOC occupying positions of leadership after they shatter the glass ceiling. And Oluo said she stopped referring to it as a glass ceiling and more so as a glass cliff. Because as soon as they rise to these levels in these organizations, BIPOC and women, they are met with resistance and they are almost always set up to fail. And then when they inevitably do fail, they are pushed out and it's seen as a as a poor reflection of them instead of the reflection of the people around them that sabotage them and set them up to fail. And that is... I had to read that part like or listen to it rather like two or three times because that was my experience in so many different ways. But it it stands out in one specific way in which at the time this happened, I had been coaching cycling for about four or five years and I want to say four years, four years. And I made it clear that I wanted to ascend to a position of leadership. I wanted to become a lead instructor. I felt like I had the skills for it and I didn't feel like I had the skills for it. I knew I had the skills for it. I knew I was capable. I still to this day know that I was capable of that position. And I asked what could be done for me to ascend this? What do I have to do? And there was all this talk about, oh, we're going to send you to leader instructor training. And then when it came time to happen, one of the managers, one of the owners, he messed up completely the travel situation. By the time he had gotten ever his act together, the flight tickets would have been like an insane amount of dollars, six or seven hundred dollars, and the they don't want to pay for it, fine, whatever. And um then they said the next time we would get you in. And I said, Fine, whatever, you know, 
whatever. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And if it's not going to happen, it's not going to happen. And that's okay. Because if y'all know me, you know, I strongly believe that what is for you shall not pass to you. So I don't tend to stress on you. Of course, you feel disappointed. I'm not going to say that I wasn't disappointed. But I also didn't feel like I wasn't really too pressed about it. Because like I said, if it was for me, it was for me. If it wasn't going to be for me, it wasn't going to be for me. And it is what it is. So next, a next time didn't come. Because by the time that that next opportunity had come around, I had lost favor in the eyes of leadership. And what did I do to lose favor in the eyes of leadership? I spoke out against negative and harmful things that were happening in the studio. And leadership just wanted me to shut up. And management just wanted me to be quiet. And that's not in my nature. Obviously, that's not who I am. And I was penalized for that. I was penalized for being someone who spoke up in the face of wrongdoing and just stood up for myself and wanted to be respected. And I thank God that that was a missed opportunity because in hindsight, I could not imagine working with people who were actively looking to hold me back every step of the way because that would not have been a position of leadership for me it would have been an example of tokenism where I was just filling that spot to say that we have diversity, to say we have a black girl in this space, but was I going to be able to exercise and actually lead in that role? No. And so the reason why I put so much emphasis on this, that number, I talked about three things, but the second one, when BIPOC actually reach these levels, when they reach these organizations, and then when they reach these levels of leadership, are they, when they get here, are their voices and are their opinions actually considered and valued? And that's something that we have to think of because I don't think people are ready for that. I think people are absolutely ready to have black people in their spaces, to have BIPOC in their spaces. They're ready to talk the talk, but they're not ready to really receive BIPOC. And it's honestly a shame because there is beauty in diversity. And on top of being beauty in diversity, diversity and actual representation and actual equity and actual inclusion only benefits companies. Statistically speaking, you can look this up. These things only benefit organizations. Why? Because there is so much value in having a difference of perspective and opinion at the table because of our skin color, because of our culture, because of this society we've been raised in, we all have different experiences. And those experiences have value. And the value in them is people being able to see things differently from you and bringing something else to the table that you yourself may lack. And there is value in those things, but there is not value in that. For people who are insistent on holding the status quo, who are actively resisting against change and who are comfortable with the way things are. And if you are working in a space where your leadership is comfortable with the way things are, they are actively working and resistance, uh, resisting against the changes that you are trying to implement, you got a choice to make. See, we all make choices, right? We all make choices to decide what spaces we're going to be in. 
and I was talking to one of my friends. I, I, we're associates, you know. We we are both cycling instructors, and we we are we teach at different studios. They teach at Soul Cycle. I teach at Cycle Bar and Equinox. And I was talking to them. And I don't know if you remember, a couple of months ago, there was all of this, you know, I mean, there was just conversation everywhere, but specifically towards SoulCycle, there were a lot of accusations and there was a giant uproar and, you know, some instructors quit and that is absolutely their right to do. And I respect them for that. We all, like I said, we all make choices and we make the right choices for us. But I was talking to one of my instructor friends and I asked them why they didn't leave that space, you know, why, why they stayed. And if they felt things were so bad and they were like, because who am I to just leave? If I am not actively making the changes that I want to see and I just leave, that's uncomfortable. That, that, that's lazy. And this is a space that I love. This is a community I love. And because I love this space, I want to fight for this space because I know that this space can be so much better. I know that this space can be something beautiful and I want to help usher in that change. And that honestly, like y'all know, I can be a little emotional sometimes. <laughs> but just talking to that person, it really, it, it honestly brought tears to my eyes because that's how I felt too. Before I made the decision to leave the studio that I was at, I went back and forth with myself so many times about why was I still here? If it was so bad and I was being treated so poorly, why did I stay? And I asked myself so many times that question. Nobody asked me that question. Some of my girlfriends asked me that question. My sisters asked me that question. And what I would tell, I would tell them all the same thing. I genuinely feel like I can make this space a good space. I, I want to try. I just want to try. And if I can't do it, then I can't do it. But I can't just leave whether not knowing if things could have been different if I tried. And I tried as much as I could. And ultimately, it became a very negative space for me. And I made the decision to leave because there were so like COVID was just the breaking point for me. It's funny that we've been in this for honestly a year now. When you think about it, it's actually crazy. But the last straw for me was I'm in the health and wellness business, right? And we're in the business of making sure people are treating their bodies good and being kind to their bodies and just health and wellness. And literally, we were risking people's health and wellness to stay open to make a couple of dollars when there was something we didn't know. This was a new virus we're hearing. It's killing people. It's severely like hurting people. People are just, you know, we, we didn't know a lot, but what we did know wasn't good. And I felt so strongly about like, we don't need to be open. We don't need to be operating. And I tried so hard for management to like, to get, to just make my voice heard and was just actively resisted every single step of the way and was penalized. And I finally was like, I cannot do this anymore because now it, it's above me now like the, the the just the reckless disregard for people's health and wellness that was the final straw for me but i knew up until that point i genuinely did try at a detri- at detriment to me at detriment to my own wellness my own happiness consistently being targeted consistently being retaliated against, mistreated. I stayed because I genuinely felt 
that I could have made that space better. And I tried. And I have so much respect for people who are who are like, I can't stay here. This is a risk to me and I'm gone. And eventually I decided this is a risk to me and I'm gone. <laughs> so we all make those decisions. But before you make a decision to leave, did you try? If so, and, and even if you don't make a decision to leave, if you're still existing in those spaces and you say, you tell yourself, I want to be an anti-racist, I want to speak up, I want to use my voice, I want to be create, I want to create change. How do I impact change? How do I do the work? That is a way in which you do the work. You speak up and you try and you continue to make that change and you get the people around you to listen to your voice. You make yourself heard. That's how you can impact change. So that's all I got. <laughs> I know that's a lot. And, you know, I just be on here talking, sharing my feelings, sharing my thoughts. But the lack of diversity in these spaces is not, it's not accidental. It's by design. And if you want to change that, you're going to have to get uncomfortable. And you're going to have to actually use your voice. You're going to have to speak up. And it's not going to be easy, but I promise you, it'll be worth it. It will honestly 110% be worth it. If not for your company, that at least for you, that you're leading with your values and you're leading with what you say you believe in. You're not just walking the walk, you're talking the talk. Or you're not just talking the talk, you're walking the walk. Yeah, I said it backwards. <laughs> so that that's how we show up in our spaces. That's how we actually show up. That's how we get off social media, get off these podcasts, get off the internet and show up in our spaces. So make sure you're showing up. Show up, sis. Show up, bruh. And until next time, peace out. But before we peace out, let me know what your thoughts. Let me know how you're showing up because I think it's important to talk about these things. So if you haven't already, you can drop me a voice note on Anchor FM at Sasha Spins, or you can hit me up on Instagram at the Sasha Whitney, and we'll talk about it. And until next time, peace out.